What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Podcast back at you. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Of course, theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder, where you can follow all of our podcasts through uh, our time together at The Athletic. And uh, of course, all of our written work, get on there, subscribe. Uh, we're moving into actual practice sessions with the Saints. That's going to be coming up starting next week with OTAs. Uh, of course, we will discuss that here on the podcast. Or uh, look, if you want to just follow us, get the podcast, you can do it Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, you can jump on there. Uh, but Jeff, look, we're recording this on a Friday morning. You had some interesting news that uh, you reported and good news for Saints fans and good news for a sense of normalcy, Jeff. Yeah, it sounds like we're going to get full capacity for Saints games this fall. At least that's what the Saints are planning and preparing for, Larry. You know, like they're, they are going into this season right now with their ticket office and their fan amenity group uh, planning on it being full capacity, uh, which is great news. Uh, not only great news for the fans to get that, get their, uh, you know, season tickets back in action, but also for the team to have that. As we know, it's easily one of the best home field advantages in the NFL. And, this is the kind of season where they could use every edge they can get because uh, I think this team is going to be, uh, you know, in the mix for a playoff berth, but uh, not as dominant as they've been in the past. So having that home field, uh, you know, fan base there uh, certainly will, will be, uh, I think, a benefit for them compared to last season, how weird it was in the Dome. Yeah, I think that's a great point in the sense that last year's Saints team, uh, they were good enough to just be – one-on-one -on, -one on the field with no atmosphere and still be better than almost everyone in the NFL. Uh, the only games they lost at home were, let's see, the Packers, who went to the NFC Championship game, the Chiefs, who went to the Super Bowl, and, of course, the Bucks in round three, and they won the Super Bowl. So, uh, but you're right. I think this team going into this season – they could use every advantage. And I just think just the sense of even just within the city, it's – and every mark is probably going to be feeling kind of the same way too because I'm assuming uh, places that are uh, – have been more about the no-mask mandates, they were already ready to go full blast anyway. Like Jerry Jones was ready to go full blast. So I think the NFL also is gearing up that there will be full stadiums just because – uh, people are being vaccinated, this, that, and the other. And look, we can get back to normal coverage even of the Saints and every NFL team because, look, next week, Jeff, OTAs are going to be starting up. Uh, these are practices where we didn't even have them last year. Uh, so this year uh, we're going to be at these practices. And, of course, uh, your eyes, my eyes, we're all going to be more curious about this team going into this season than maybe we had been in a long, long time just because of such turnover, starting with Drew Brees and then just the trickle effect going down the line. Yeah, Larry, you know, like I was uh, up in Mississippi earlier this week at, at an event um, and talking to a lot of fans, a lot of longtime Saints fans, season ticket holders. And, you know, the sense I got 
obviously everyone wants to know about the quarterback situation. That's going to be topic one. But the real sense I got was that fans have lowered their expectations pretty dramatically. I think there's a real realistic view of this season. Uh, people are obviously hopeful. They're optimistic that the team can get back in the playoffs uh, and make it five years in a row. But there also is a sense of like, hey, if we don't make it, uh, you know, we understand there's, this is how the NFL business model works with the salary cap. You're going to have a dip like this. Uh, and I didn't get a sense from anyone that, oh, if this team doesn't make the playoffs, it's, it's you know, it's a huge disappointment. I think there's a, a reality uh, right now with the Saints fan base and also maybe a little bit of a quiet optimism that maybe they will be a little better than maybe the outside world thinks because of their confidence in Sean Payton and some of the stuff you and I are hearing internally about, about Jameis Winston. Absolutely. I, I uh, did my prediction column uh, recently and, you know, going through game by game. And this is, was before uh, Las Vegas put out the game by game point spreads. So I didn't, I, who knew, I didn't know when they were going to put the, those out. So I just went and did it once they released a schedule and Jeff, I got them to 10 and seven. Whoa. And, and I don't, but you look at Vegas's odds, made me feel a little bit better. The Saints are underdogs in six games going into the season. And that does not, they're not an underdog in week one against Green Bay. I think that's part of the uncertainty with Aaron Rodgers, what, what's going to happen there. But in my prediction column, I had them losing to Green Bay. And then I actually had them losing all six of those games that they were the underdogs in and winning the rest. So maybe I should start, go get my mortgage, bring it to Vegas, bring it to the Gulf Coast and just bet it all. Let's go. Let's see what happens. And, and we'll, uh, you know, roll snake eyes and get crazy. And, you know, you and me can own an island or something. Well, look, look, Larry, that's a good point, though. I didn't think about it that way. Uh, this team is still favored in, in what, 11 of their games coming up? I mean, I didn't think about it that way. So, Vegas, those guys do their homework. You know, now they can be wrong from time to time on these kind of things, but I think it does uh, illustrate that this team still has a lot of talent. And, uh, man, but having said that, when's the last time the Saints were underdogs six times in the season? It's been a while, you know, in that regard. Because, I mean, they're, they're probably favored, I'd say, 80 to 85% of the time in their games. So it is going to be a little more of a, a competitive season, I think. And I'm intrigued by that. I'm kind of interested to see all these training camp battles we're going to we're going to see at uh, cornerback, at linebacker. We got a lot of young players stepping up into new roles. The quarterback position's obviously going to be heavily scrutinized. There's just a lot of intrigue and a lot of what ifs and uncertainty this season. A lot of young players that we haven't seen in primary roles that I think are going to be elevated. So it's it's opposed to like last year where you knew exactly what this team was going to be. Uh, this one, I think, is going to be much more uh, interesting from that standpoint. Oh, absolutely. And before we dive more into things we're going to be looking at in OTAs, just kind of to let uh, our listeners know where the underdog games were. I mean, my column's been out, so it doesn't matter at this rate. But the underdog games uh, were at Seattle, both games against Tampa, at Tennessee, Thanksgiving night at home against Buffalo, and then the season finale at Atlanta. And so I had them losing all six of those games. Basically, my, my reasoning for the Atlanta game at the end is just 
wacky things happen sometimes with the Falcons, and I think that's a, just a game where they get caught by a team that's probably not as good as them. But the, just so our listeners know, like, so it's you know that bulk of the schedule, Jeff. I have them going four and one to open the season. You thought I was nuts. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to look at this again. And that's where I went. And I, that's where Vegas has them going five and oh, if you're going to go by the, uh, by the point spreads. I mean, they have them five and oh before that bye week and then they go to Seattle. And that's would be the first game where they will be an underdog. So uh, just as uh, I don't know, I don't know, Jeff, I know you're, you're predicting like what? Four and thirteen. I, I know you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, listeners. I'm no, kidding. but I, I'm a little. I'm a, not quite as optimistic. I, I'll say that. Um, maybe, maybe I'll change my tune once I get into camp. But just on the surface, it feels like a year that's going to be a full-scale transition. Uh, but if they get off to a quick start, uh, you know, if they go four and one like you have them, or uh, you know, obviously five and zero. Oh, I mean, this thing could snowball and they could have one of those years. I don't think there's any doubt they got the talent to do it, but I just feel like there's so many question marks. Uh, but I do think the opportunities there, the schedule early on, uh, you know, has some opportunities that they play just a lot of road games early on. And, and we all know, man, those games are always harder in the NFL. When you go on the road, there's going to be fans this year. And when you play these teams like the Jets, uh, they still have hope early in the season. They, they're not banged up with injuries and they haven't lost all hope. Uh, with a bunch of losses, so they're harder when you play. the. I, I can think of a game. Remember a few years ago, the Saints went to Cleveland early in the year and got beat, and they were it was a, ended up being a terrible Cleveland team, but I think they played them for their home opener. And, of course, they were fired up. It was their first home game. is like game two of the season. That's the kind of stuff that happens early. That was Johnny Manziel's rookie year. I think okay. he came in for like two plays. I, I definitely yeah. re- recall that game because that one, one was like, what, how did you all lose to them? But I mean, that was that season it was, I think it was 2016. I think that that sounds about right uh, with that. But, uh, but Jeff, when you look at the early schedule and you see at Carolina and then it's at New England, that's a tricky game still, even though the Saints are favored. I mean, that's still a tricky game at New England. Then you come home to play the Giants, and then you go to Washington. See, those are teams where it's like, uh, you know, how last year's Saints team, we'd say, oh, the Saints would just wipe the floor with them. But still, I think there's some shakiness right now. And like you said, when we get into these practices, I'm wondering how much my tune changes. Maybe I get a little little less optimistic. I will admit I'm being more optimistic than I thought I would be. I, I you know, so that's when I look at how the schedule mapped out, it just kind of fell that way to me. But there's so many questions that there's not a lot of gimme games because you can kind of see, oh, you know, what if Jameis throws a pick or something, you know, something wild and you lose by three. You know, something like that could happen. So I think a lot of that will come down to you know, our assessment of the team when we start getting into these practices, because we are going to, I know you and me and Catherine, we are going to probably be paying attention a lot more to these practices than maybe we had been when we go out there the last couple of years because of the uncertainties at a lot of spots. Yeah, I I think camps, obviously, we're not going to have the same limitations as well. So there's going to be a much greater opportunity to talk to more players, more coaches, and all of those sources that we normally were able to kind of pry for information. So uh, it should be a much more productive off season for us. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I, you know, when's the last time we dealt with, like, I think Catherine mentioned it. When's the last time the Saints had a 
quarterback competition. I mean, I can't remember. It's been a long time. So I'm looking forward to that. And, and I'm also looking forward to, you know, seeing some of the tweaks. You know, there's always tweaks in the offseason. Coaches get in, in the lab and they have projects that they work on. And there'll be some differences. Certainly without Drew Brees there, there's going to be a different feel to, to practices. And his presence was, you know, he was omnipresent just with the way he carried himself and the way he ran the team as the undisputed leader. It's going to be interesting to see that dynamic and, and see how Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill kind of put their stamp on this team because it's certainly going to have to be done uh, in the in the wake of losing the greatest player in NFL history or Saints history. One of the best in, in NFL history. So you only, you're, you're, on, you're on this right track there. But look, when you look at – we know the quarterbacks, this, that, and the other. We're going to talk about that ad nauseum. And I could point to – some question marks at wide receiver. I could point to question marks at tight end and maybe not necessarily major question marks along the offensive line, but I am wondering how much they tinker with the Eric McCoy and Cesar Ruiz if they shift them around. Uh, you know, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think it's just going to come down to what they feel most comfortable with in, in, in terms of that. But, uh, but as far as, say, wide receiver, I'm – and I'm not just talking about, say, all right, who's going to be the number two wide receiver? It's like, you, you know, you and me, we every year you go into this thing and people are wondering who's number two or number three, this, that, and the other. I think, obviously, there is a job opening for the quote-unquote number two receiver. But also just which receivers mesh with the quarterback. I mean, we, we've never really had to assume, oh, well, someone can't mesh with Drew Brees, one of the people that have been around. I mean, we have not seen all these players work with either one of these quarterbacks for a super extended amount of time. So I think there's something where it's it's a new ball. It's a new, uh, basically, approach with quarterback to wide receiver. So I'm just in that sense alone, I'm curious to see which player plays better with Jameis or which one doesn't. And so I think that's something that people are going to have some curiosity with. And I really want to watch and see – if this offense changes dramatically with Jameis Winston, is the big play going to come back? Uh, that, you know, I wrote about that going into the draft, and they really didn't address it. Um, is that just going to organically happen now that you've got more of a big-armed quarterback? Uh, is it going to you know, open things up for some of the receivers who have maybe the physical ability and the skill set to get open deep, and we just didn't see it because of Drew's limitations? Uh, I want to see if that comes back because I I think that's a major question mark with this team. I mean, this team in the last two years, Larry, you know it. I mean, they've been scoring in the 20s. They're not this – every once in a while they'll rise up and have, you know, a Minnesota Vikings game where they, where they get it going. But for the most part, this team has been like in the mid-20s. The offense has dropped off. They were ranked 12th last year in the NFL. So first time they haven't been in the top 10 in 15 years. So – and that really – I don't see a lot of additions there other than, you know, you're elevating Adam Troutman. Um, so I don't know if, if that was a byproduct of Breeze's limitations or just the playmakers on the perimeter or a little of both. But to me, uh, I'm fascinated to see if that comes back because the league has gone more to these quick strike, speed-based attacks, wide open. We see it in Kansas City. Obviously, Atlanta's got an arsenal and, uh, you know, the 49ers – have weapons, multiple weapons. I don't see it in the Saints' offense. I don't see explosiveness anywhere. 
And that's a question mark for me. Well, it's funny when you mentioned the Minnesota game. Yeah, they put up a bunch of points, but who did they ride the back of? Alvin Kamara. It wasn't like receivers were going off. I mean, this was an Alvin Kamara uh, scoring fest. And I'm wondering if, say, early on in the season, if they lean more towards that run game that actually, to me, it's the most stable part probably of the entire team at this rate. You have all your running backs back. You know Alvin Kamara, he's playing back at a superstar level. Latavius Murray, he's a good north-south runner, good complement. And so how much do they lean on that? And, of course, the offensive line is still a major strength on this team. So early on, if they can't get the sense that they can quick strike, I mean, I feel like they might be – more leaning on Kamara and Murray and, and using that offensive line to, to, you know, run to set up the pass as opposed to just saying, hey, Jameis, let it fly. I agree 100%. And I'm just, but I just, I'm interested to see that. I know, and I think we talked last time on the pod that, that they were really interested in Elijah Moore from Ole Miss and they wanted to trade up in the second round to get him just for that reason. He was a guy that would compliment Mike Thomas. They had a vision for him as a slot receiver and kind of a, a poor man, Steve Smith, uh, they could use that element in their offense. It's just really not there. Deontay Harris, we've talked about. I mean, he's so small, he gets banged up. He gets banged up every year. Can't rely on him, I think, as a full-time receiver. Is Callaway, is it Traquan Smith ready to break out? Certainly a big year for him contract-wise. But uh, I just don't see the explosiveness. And maybe Sean Payton could scheme it up. We've seen him do it before. I mean, I've seen him draw big plays to Tommy Lee Lewis, you know, 40, 50 yard gains, uh, you know, so he can do it, but it, it's certainly uh, been missing the last couple of years. I wanted to, I wanted to, I told you I was going to ask you a question. Uh, during I was the waiting podcast. for this. So I'm curious about this. I, I, you know, I was going over something this morning. I ran across something on Twitter of all these great touchdowns that Drew Brees had thrown. I found myself in a, in a wormhole watching all these great plays, you forget just how many unbelievable plays Drew Brees had. But at the end of each one, Larry, was a different touchdown celebration. And so I thought that might be a fun summer story, the best touchdown celebrations in Saints history. Who do you think had the best TD celebration or sack celebration, whatever the celebration is, on-field celebration, uh, since you've covered the team? All right, since I've covered the team, so I did not cover when Joe Horn had the cell phone. I mean, okay. I think that one, everyone's going to recall that as number one because it's renowned league-wide. Uh, obviously, Michael Thomas tried to recreate that. Well, just the cell phone, too. Uh, he tried to recreate that. I'm sure, Jeff, I, I know you just because of your uh, your longtime crush on Marcus Colston. Just that one for you. Just He's just a little point in the air. That, that that's it, and and no. C Spans will probably be like Jeff. You're you're, you're the donkey downer again, as always. You know, uh, but, uh, who came to mind for me? One, the Vanilla Gorilla, Jeff Charleston, with the light bulb on the sack. That's, oh, that's a great one, and, and some old school fans will remember that. But actually, I think the coolest one is very underrated, and a guy that I think is a little uh, underappreciated in the Saints fan base, Brandon Cooks with the with the arrow the the pulling the arrow out of the quiver shooting it i like that it's unique it's different and i, I have to go with that over and lance moore had a variety of crazy dances 
uh, over the over his time. But I don't know. I think it'd be fun to kind of uh, get get fans involved in that because uh, we've certainly seen a lot of them with this great offense over the years. I'm going to pull a random one on defense, and I don't remember if he did it every time, but he did it a few times. When Cedric Ellis would get a sack and he'd get up and do the Pee Wee Herman dance <laughs> from <laughs> Pee Wee's Big Adventure, I think that one to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, Pee Wee Herman. And so that, to me, is a, a very underrated and probably forgotten one. I can't believe I just remembered it just now. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked awesome. that, I, that I actually did that. I'd forgotten that one. I, I kind of, I know I'm partial to my boy Sheldon Rankins, but I liked him. He had that wiggle. I like that one too. Yes. Very I subtle, definitely like but, that one. But, but cool. So yeah, this could be fun to put it together because there's a lot of ones like Cedric Ellis I'd forgotten about. That's a great one. <laughs> well, you look at also, I know people appreciate uh, what Demario Davis does. I mean, look, he does the, the, the crucifix. And so, you know, obviously we have a lot of uh, people, religious people, and that's pays homage uh, in, in saints religion. So it's, you know, I think that's, uh, something cool. I remember when he first did it, I thought he was doing the karate kid crane kick and then people like, no, you moron. He's doing, uh, (laughs) Jesus on the cross, you fool. And I said, oh, well, that probably makes a lot more sense. (laughs) There's also the, uh, you know, the Cam Jordan levels thing he does kind of climbing a ladder kind of thing. That's that's definitely, that's definitely unique. Uh, so yeah, that might be fun to do. I think this summer and, do both touchdown celebrations and sack celebrations. I don't, I don't know. Have we ever had like a defensive back with a signature play? I can't, I can't think. I mean, I mean, they haven't made enough plays in life. So I don't think they've made enough plays in life for us to, to, to realize that. But (laughs) I I will say this though, uh, in modern saints history, I mean, they're the ones who, who did the, uh, the taking the picture in the end zone and everyone stole that. Good one. Everyone. They were the originals to do that, and everyone stole it. Yeah. So I think yeah. that one, that's got to be right that up there. That might be number that was one. Cool. Yeah, that was really cool. That one might be number one because they definitely perfected that. And then I'd forgotten about Camara doing the Snow Angel. That's not original, but I'd forgotten he did that on Christmas Day uh, when he got his uh, record, record-breaking record or record-tying touchdown. Uh, so yeah, it might be fun, and I'm sure – going down a, a rabbit hole on YouTube with NFL films, there's going to be some ones pop up that we've forgotten about over the years. Like Jeff Charleston. I don't think people are going to remember his sack dance. No, your fascination with Jeff Charleston is bothersome to me. I don't get it. Uh, we When we were doing daily radio, I was just uh, – that was back when he was doing, what, Southern Charm, New Orleans, and us. Uh, could they get a more anonymous Saints player in the history of the team to be on that show? Give me a break. I mean, that's – just saying, there's a reason. I like when Mike McKenzie made his cameos on the show, not Jeff Charleston as actually being part of the cast. The TV star, Larry. There's a reason. There's a reason producers <laughs> wanted Jeff Charleston, reason. Charleston on there. <laughs> on that note, we have devolved uh, into insanity. So why don't we wrap it up here this week? But I, look, Jeff, I think that's a, that's a fun one. So look, if you're listening to the pod, shoot us a tweet, shoot us an email. Uh, there's probably celebrations that me and Jeff have, for, have forgotten about, but uh, uh, I think, hey, extend it to all time, too. Uh, some of the ones uh, even before, uh, say, the Sean Payton era, because that's uh, I've only covered them for this will be season 16. You know, Jeff's been around since uh, since Archie was drafted. So, hey, Danny uh, Bramowitz. So, exactly, yeah. Hey, exactly. Man, what, he about, what about Jimmy Graham's dunking over the goalpost? That's a signature play. I mean, he got a rule. Absolutely. Right. 
He broke the goalpost in Atlanta. That was hilarious, actually. So. It wasn't at the time. Uh, yeah, we were hey. sitting there going, oh, my God, this game's taking forever now. Way to go. <laughs> they had to go get the ladder and fix the goalposts. Oh, gosh. I just remember the, the year after uh, that I had to do extended work about the NFL rules while I was at the owners' meeting because Jimmy Gra- it was the Jimmy Graham rule. So, uh, But anyway, thanks, Jimmy, for letting me have – more work to do. And if you so, remember, but... Drew Brees did it before. Remember, Drew Brees dunked over famously one time, I think, over the goalpost. I, I couldn't believe he got that much ups with uh, with all that uh, equipment and uh, him being barely six foot. So he did, did Drew it, ever have any kind of so? I don't think he ever did. Did he? I mean, he didn't really have. He much might have just spiked a ball hard. I don't. You know, he just yeah. Boring. He's just uh, another touchdown. I had about, about seven million of them. He's kind of boring so, sometimes. <laughs> just like us so send us your uh, sack or touchdown celebrations or uh, anything else uh, i think that'd be a fun uh, fun story and we can talk about it on the pod and um, maybe we'll write about it and have a good time with the athletics so all right that's gonna wrap up this edition of the duncan holder podcast of course theathletic.com slash duncan holder jump on get all of our pods all of our written work or if you just want to Get with the podcast on your favorite podcast service, Apple, Spotify, wherever you do that, feel free to jump on that. So, but next week we will have watched an OTA. I know we'll learn all the Saints secrets after that one OTA session, but no, seriously, we'll be getting back into some football practices. So this will be uh, definitely uh, something that we're all going to be fascinated with. And uh, we will give you all of our thoughts throughout the summer on the Duncan Holder Podcast. So for Jeff Duncan, I am Larry Holder. Thanks once again for joining us here on the Duncan Holder Podcast on the Athletics Podcast Network.